Welcome back to episode two of your new favorite podcast called Wild Quincy. Chris Ketter's here with you. Travis Hoffman, my co-host. How are we doing tonight? Chris, we're doing well. How about yourself? Not too bad. You know, we had a good run uh, with our ep- first episode. A lot of great responses. And, and Travis, I want to give a special shout out before we get uh, get going in this episode. And I believe it was St. Francis Parish uh, in Quincy Correct. that gave us a shout out on their Facebook page. And we really appreciate that and uh, a good response uh, from that post that they had. Absolutely. No, it was uh, it was great to see us see them share a little bit of love with, with our episode. It obviously hit close to home for the uh, parish and you know, a lot of people even commented on uh, on that thread within Facebook that, uh, oh, my uncle was the custodian. And then to like another comment or so later, they said, oh, yeah, they they, they said they talked about him. They mentioned him. So it, it was great to see that people are listening. And, you know, it's valuable information, I think. And just lots of kind words through different channels yeah for sure it, it's exciting that uh we get the the response also our facebook page starting to get a little more active make sure to uh, follow us on our facebook page just uh, look for wild quincy and also i'm going to give a shout out to travis here because the website that we have wildquincy.com if you haven't been there yet we don't make any money off of you going to the website so this is not a, a plug to make money this is a plug because there's some really cool stuff on there to check out especially with the saint francis school fire and even this episode that we're going to have coming up today There'll be some neat stuff on there, but make sure to check out the pictures. There's some pictures from back when the fire happened and before of the school and auditorium and even a picture that Travis, you found of the, uh, the ticket stub that they had for that. Yeah. There's, this is a great part about the podcast is we're, we're not just stopping at the audio portion of it. We're kind of supplementing that with our, our blog on the website. So please don't, don't be a stranger. Come check us out at wildquincy.com. All right. Well, now since we got all the plugs out of the way, let's go to everybody's favorite part of our episode, and that is the question of the day. Travis, you have not heard this question no, yet. No, I'm flying blind. This is the first time I've had no <laughs> no preview whatsoever. I'm excited, Chris. Yeah. So uh, here goes the question. And so what we do is we'll give you a question. We'll give you the answer to that question at the end of this episode. Here is the question of the day. One Quincy native captained a famous mode of transportation. Do you know what famous vehicle it was? And I'm going to give you some options here. So option one is the Titanic. Option two, the Hindenburg. Option three, Enola Gay. Or option four, the USS Arizona. So those are your options. You're getting tricky there, Chris. Yeah, I know. So one more time, here's your question. So it's one Quincy native captained a famous mode of transportation. Do you know what famous vehicle it was? Again, the options are the Titanic, the Hindenburg, the Enola Gay, or the USS Arizona. We'll have that question for you or the answer to that question coming up at the end of this episode. But Travis, it's time to turn towards episode two. Are you ready for this? Very ready, Chris. The episode is that time a five-year-old was kidnapped. And we'll have that for you coming up next here on Wild Quincy. Hi, this is Sully. Let's get back to Chris and Travis on Wild Quincy.
This week we are digging into something that happened way back in the day, and I'm not even sure the exact date, but uh, anyway, it was way back. It was before our time, that is for sure. And we're talking about Freddie Lieb, or maybe Lieb Travis, is that what we're yeah, figuring out? <laughs> just minutes before the show, I stumbled across a, a art, or actually a letter that his father wrote to a, another person who wrote a book about their missing son the cases kind of run hand in hand on details and in that letter i've never seen this anywhere before in my research he says that it's pronounced lieb so keep keep in mind we've been pronouncing lieb and La as, as lieb lieb and lieb we'll probably go back and forth but if you want to be on the right side of history i guess technically it's lieb but we'll just say freddie to keep things brief for now <laughs> so that helps us out a little bit and of course to help us out even more we have a nancy benz with us and travis i'm gonna let you uh do the introductions and uh, introduce nancy absolutely um nancy benz you are the assistant curator of collections and exhibits at the quincy museum thanks for joining us tonight how are you this evening yeah no problem thanks for having me i'm doing pretty good i wish it would stop raining but it's all right <laughs> A little little wet and soggy day, but we'll try to try to keep the conversation lively and distract everyone. Um, Nancy, I stumbled across you when I started doing some research on Freddie. And I was happy to see that until I saw your your Web page, which is hashtag, excuse me, hashtag tracking history. I believe that's uh, tracking history dot blog dot wordpress dot com. And you had done some legwork on Freddie. And so I thought, you know, Rather than just having me blather on here as I normally do, it'd be nice to bring someone else in for a little uh, freshness to the flavor, so to speak. And get us started here, Nancy. Who is Freddie Lieb or Lieb? So Freddie Lieb or Frederick or Lieb, I guess it would be Lieb now. (laughs) Um, He was five years old and he was playing with his friend George uh, Cook at Six in Maine near the Miller Carriage Yard, which present day, um, it's like uh, Grown and Gathered, uh, the jewelry store, DG, Curlins, that block of Quincy downtown. Gotcha. And they were playing on the morning of June 26, 1871, and he mysteriously disappeared. Just just gone, huh? Nothing. Yeah, he was just gone, kind of like a magic trick, just up and left. <laughs> Uh, he was the son of a Professor William Live. He was a prominent music teacher and singer in Quincy. Uh, he also taught at the uh, Quincy Notre Dame or Quincy High School. I can't remember which one. Um, but essentially what happened was when his son didn't come home, William immediately, re- immediately realized that something was wrong. Like he was usually home by dinner, you know, cleaning up, getting ready, going to bed, things like that. Uh, So he immediately called the police when he didn't come home, and then the searches began. Uh, They checked old wells, cisterns. After a while, they even dragged the Mississippi River, and they couldn't find little Freddie. Now, he was was five years old, is that what you said? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the state of things. It's probably not uncommon for your kids of that age to probably running around with school friends. Well, especially then, you know, 1870s, what else are you going to do? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The, the, nobody was on their Nintendo switch very much back then. No. So it's, I guess it wouldn't be uncommon for, you know, kids being kids being out a little later than normal seems to be the status quo. What, what kind of immediate evidence was found? Uh, what kind of search work went into this at like the get go? Initially, they just started looking at uh, wells, 
cisterns, like I said, and then eventually they dragged the Mississippi River. There were reports of a neighbor lady, uh, Mrs. William Hawthorne. She recalled seeing the two boys playing, but didn't really recognize anything out of the ordinary. Um, and then William decided, you know, I'm going to put some press on this. I'm going to get some cert reward money out. Uh, maybe the person's going to come forward if there's $50, $100, and eventually got up to over $300 to get his kid back. Uh, initially, you know, they were thinking, the town was thinking that maybe gypsies took him. Quincy has had, I should say, a lot of travelers going through during that time, being right on the river, uh, and gypsies were kind of like scapegoats for missing children that people just assume that gypsies took these kids so they could uh, be beggars and get money from people. And same with the, the Italian population, people thought the Italians were out to get the kids and they would become handlers, push, push them into a begging position and then take all the money. And nothing really came of that search with the gypsies, did it? No, not that I, I mean, what I saw, there were a few newspaper articles here and there that said, oh, gypsies down in Kansas City have them. Uh, the Italians in New York have him. Gypsies up in Canada have them or have him. So it's kind of just like an overall scapegoat, basically, trying to figure out what happened to Freddie without coming at someone who either A, was a, a celebrity at the time, or someone who had a lot of money or someone in the political system. Cause you never really want to go after those people right away. <laughs> right. And well. so based off that, was there any attempt at like a ransom to be collected or any type of claims made by a kidnapper trying to get trying to get money out of his father or the community? None or? that I have found. Um, it surely could have been possible. There was a similar case uh, later Around the same time, I think it was about three, four years after uh, Freddie goes missing, and the two were often pitted together in the newspapers. And with that particular boy, Charlie Ross, there was a ransom attached to him. Um, but with like, Freddie, I've never seen anything. So Freddie gets abducted, allegedly. Mm -hmm. and you, we never hear anything out of him again. It just becomes a cold case, right? Yeah, I mean, they, William searches for years, like 51 years he searches for his son, and he's gone all over the country. Um, he's gone to Galesburg, Payson, St. Louis, Des Moines, Kansas City, Ohio, New York, Wyoming. Like, he went everywhere to find his son. Any single rumor or lead that he heard, he went there. Um, there was a case in near St. Louis that was reported. Um, a little boy was found in the river and he was noted to wear, to be wearing similar clothing as Freddie when he went um, missing. And William went down there and he couldn't identify him as his son. Uh, then there was a couple of times where they thought they had someone and they had him in custody, but then there was really no evidence that stated, oh, hey, you actually did it. So they kind of let those people go. Um, and then my favorite, one of my favorites about like this rumor, what happened to him, this little boy, his name was Joe 
Feuder, I think it's how you pronounce it. And he lived at 24th and Broadway, which back in the 1870s was the edge of Quincy. That was like the outskirts of town pretty right. much. And he said that he saw Freddie in a wagon and it was leaving on that end of town. So it kind of makes me think that maybe that's what happened. He was in a wagon because it's kind of odd for a child that far out of town at the time to be like, hey, I saw this person. Right. Not have any type of ed- evidence, I guess. But people kind of pushed him away and was like, eh, that's not what happened. <laughs> now, it, it's interesting you mentioned that Professor Lee, Freddie's father, put out quite the the manhunt, so to speak, to get to find information about his lost son. And in doing so, one I believe one of the things he did was actually write to Charlie's father. Charlie's father wrote a book depicting the account of his missing child and received a letter from his Freddie's father and actually included it in an appendix. And that book was widely distributed and widely read. And just the general press that this story received, I found numerous accounts on a newspapers.com search I believe it was picked up by the AP and ran in different areas. Mm-hmm. So that might kind of explain a little bit of what's to happen next in this crazy story. If we were to stop right there, it'd be an interesting story of just a vanishing boy. Yeah. But there's so much more to it. And it gets real weird real fast because Freddie maybe comes back. What what, what happens next in the story? It's kind of like, like unsolved mysteries. For like today's setting, you know, if someone disappears, there's a whole bunch of sightings, reports are being reported in the papers, television shows, things like that. But for this time, it would just be papers. But after there was a connection between the Charlie Ross case, which what you were just talking about, and Freddie, there was a few people to come about and be like, hey, I'm little Freddie. <laughs> And this is years after the yeah, fact. Yeah, right? it's years. Um, so the first one was in 1922. A man from Camden, New Jersey, his name was Lewis Welch. He claimed that he was little Freddie. Uh, he was about around 60 when he decided to come forward. And That's a huge gap, my God. You know, you think more than 50 years since this five-year-old goes missing, someone in their 60s yeah, comes well, forward. Well, it kind of happened with the Charlie case a lot of men decided hey i'm gonna claim that i'm this charlie kid on my deathbed kind of to get a little you know credit or you know celebrity type of situation um but again none of those were charlie (laughs) so it kind of um i think it kind of just correlated that because they were such national stories and right somebody looking for a 15 minutes of fame yeah And he said, this guy from Camden, New Jersey, uh, Mr. Walsh, he said that he remembered being kidnapped from Quincy by an elderly Native American woman, which I guess could be plausible considering there were Natives in this area at the time. Um, But I don't see, like historically see them abducting children from river towns it seems so random (laughs) yeah yeah so i don't know exactly if that's what happened but the city of quincy and the family the family that was still living when this happened they decided you know this guy can't be it he doesn't have any hard proof evidence that he was abducted that he was from quincy you know this man's 60 years old almost why didn't he come forward years prior 
right. type of thing. So the family gets the information, talks to him, and it's it's landed on that he's not Freddy. So back back to nothing, back to square one. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the end of the story? No, there's one more little twist at the end. Another twist. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, William, which was Freddie's father, he passed away in 1924. A year later, another man came up or came about and said, "Hey, I'm little Freddie from the missing or the missing boy from the papers." And he claimed, this man claimed that he was an ex-lover of Williams, or he was abducted by an ex-lover of Williams. Excuse me. Oh, so he's he's saying that the woman who kidnapped him was the ex-lover yes. of Freddie's father. Okay, yeah. so it gets a little muddy my brain, there. my brain was going faster <laughs> than my mouth. <laughs> Understood. No, I think we're, we're back. We're all cut up. Go yes. on. And so he said that this woman abducted him. And he took him, or and she took him to Philadelphia, where then he was pawned off to another set of foster parents. Mm. And these foster parents raised him as Robert Clark. Okay, Robert Clark's man number two, claiming to be Freddie Lyle. Yes. And so uh, I'm not sure exactly how old he was when he came to the realization that he may be Freddie. Um, but he claimed that he was standing at a corner and a newspaper blew out his feet and wow. it showed a picture of a missing five-year-old and the picture looked very familiar to one that his quote-unquote parents had in the house. I've read some accounts where he asked his uh, parents about it and they either A said yes this is a true story or B, this is false, you've been Robert Clark your entire life. So hmm. I don't really know which one is true, but it's kind of it's kind of weird that there's two different accounts of it. Now, Nancy, let's think about, you know, the time frame here. Obviously, when, when Freddie goes missing, 1871, photography has come a long way, shall we say, from that point. <laughs> You know, what I was struck by, by reading a lot of these accounts and seeing the pictures in the newspaper, which were mm. basically like black and white ink drawings, essentially <laughs> visually. So to, <laughs> the, the gravitas of someone to see a, you know, a black and white almost illustration of a child, pretty nondescript and say, oh, that was me. Yeah. Obviously. And, unless there's like some sort of birthmark, like, you know, on the face or something that was noted in those pictures. I don't really know how one would be like, hey, that's for sure me. Yeah, it, it seems like really a leap of faith and to not have any any way to genetically test for anything. That seems like you're really just taking the word of someone. Now, this this Robert uh, Robert Clark, correct? Correct. What happens with him? Does he does he meet with the family? What's what's the outcome of him? Is he properly accepted as Freddie? It depends on what account you go by. So there's an account where Freddie's older sister in the Kansas City Times newspaper, she makes a little statement and says, you know, there's doubt in her family and her family and her friend circle that Clark is, in fact, little Freddie. But she believes that Clark is her brother and she has vetted him as much. So it sounds like it's a happy ending then. It sounds like that. 
But then a year after them accepting or possibly accepting him as their brother, um, the probate courts in Joplin, which is where William retired and died at, they ruled against Clark. I'm assuming he tried to get something out of the will of some He wanted sort. a piece of the action as far yeah. as the state, it sounds <laughs> like. I mean, he's probably just knowing his profession, his father's profession, he was probably pretty wealthy for that time period. I see. And I think they only had two, maybe three kids. So it would have been a pretty large sum if he did have money for each of the children. So I'm assuming he went to probate court for that reason. But the judge proceeding over it decided he wasn't going to acknowledge or name Clark as the missing boy. Therefore, he wasn't going to be entitled to anything that was potentially in the probate. So he walks away without the money and kind of disappears from from history as far as I could tell. Yeah, I haven't been able to find like a concrete record of him, not even like staying around. Once that was decided, like newspapers seem to like drop off the case. There's really no historical documentation stating that he's still in the Joplin area. So let me let me throw in a question real quick here. I, I, what year was that when Robert comes forward? 1924, 25. So it's, that's like 50 years, mm-hmm. 40 years. A little over, yeah. About, about six, almost 60, like 56. Oh, oh yeah, I guess from 70, yeah. yeah. So let's ask, so I want to dig this in. Was there anything in the papers talking about how the sister vetted this guy as being her brother exactly? Was there any details on that? The only thing that I was able to come across was her um, actual statement. And in it, she just says that we are certain of the identity of the so-called Robert T. Clark as that of my brother, Frederick S. Live. And I wish to say that his identity has been fully verified as that of our brother. But I was never able to find anything like, did they find a birthmark? Right. Did he have some sort of like discoloration in his hair? Like um, the only the only I'm sorry to jump in here, Nancy. The only things I, I was able to run across was the fact that he had two two crowns of like hair separation, which was apparently not super common. And he had a several birthmark or not birthmarks, but moles placed on his back. And right before he was abducted, he'd been immunized. And may have had a couple shot marks, which I don't know if that would actually leave a scar uh, at that time period. But yeah, it was very minimal as far as what you could identify someone with. I mean, I've seen a lot of pictures of that time period. And to me, like all the little boys look the same. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> not a whole right. lot of distinguished, you know, features. Well, what do you make of this, Chris? This is your first time hearing this story. I'm, I have a list of questions here. I've just been sitting here listening to it, but I, I guess maybe I missed it. And so let's recap it a little bit. What was this incentive for these people coming forward to claim? What You mentioned that it was like notoriety possibly, but was there was there financial gains, it sounds like, possibly involved with this as well? Uh, the only thing, Chris, is potentially trying to get some money out of out of his father, who, as Nancy, you know, mentioned, may have had some some money of some uh, worth worth mentioning at the time period. Perhaps. Uh, I was gonna say. So, do we know for sure? Like, did the family own a business or? He was a professional singer. The father was Lives' father. 
Um, he was a professional singer, and he's also a prominent teacher okay. in the area. But teachers don't make a lot of money. <laughs> no, but <laughs> but if you had to think about it, you know, let's say twenty dollars, well, that was a ton of money back then. True. Yeah. So. Well, I just it's just so weird. I guess if I want to uh, recap this all into like a, a nice little ball, if you will, is that it just seems so odd that that I I've heard other cases before where people are like a case is 50 plus years old and you don't have people 50 years down the road claiming to be something because it's not, it's not headline news by, you know, something that happened 50 years ago in, you know, 1967, for example, uh, you don't have people coming forward today and say, Oh yeah, I'm Billy Bob. You know, it, it seems so weird that you had that case back then that all of a sudden that you have these people so far in the future now claiming that that's who they are. Chris, I, I think one of those reasons might've been, the publishing of of Charlie the the other boy's uh, father's book that happened after the fact because when when uh, uh, kind of like rekindled things yeah I think because it was nationally produced and syndicated and I you know who look at today people love a good missing persons story mm-hmm. um, so I imagine there was a certain sense of virality and kind of rebirth to the legend uh, so yeah it, it is a, such a huge gap though Chris and that's what's so wild about this is you think. The story's all tied up with a nice little bow, and someone comes in from the shadows and just rips that bow right off the top and creates just this cacophony of, of uh, stories, and you're back at square one at the end of the day on this story. So so the last question I do have uh, is we're getting short on time here for the segment, but uh, I do want to ask, you said that the father searched for a long time for Freddie. Like 51 years, 52 years. Was there ever a time where there was family members that accepted the, or thought that the idea that he did pass away, was there any sort of memorial put in place or was it always that inspiration that he was still alive? I I never came across that. I don't know if Travis has, but I haven't. Yeah, nothing, um, nothing I, on this front. I do know his mother passed away um, prior to his dad and it was, kind of thought that she passed away of a broken heart never knowing you know what actually happened to her son and she was gone before these two guys even came about and said hey i might be ready so i i'm gonna we're gonna wrap up here but i want to ask both of you guys because both of you guys have researched this so i'm gonna ask you your thoughts give me the overall if gun to your head you had to decide what happened to freddie give me both your guys answers and uh travis start with you uh i would say if it was a kidnapping, if it was a kidnapping at all, uh, something may have gone botched. Maybe it was a, a, some kind of criminal act where there was never a hope of return. Maybe something happened. He did get lost in a cistern while playing. There was a window where nobody was watching him and no one had an account, so there's a possibility there. So I would say it's a kind of a toss-up, Chris. Nancy? Um, I would agree with that. I do think there might have been a possible more sinister act involved. Um, But then again, you know, a little kid said that he saw him leaving the town. But I always wondered what George saw, the little boy he was playing with when he went missing. Mm. Because I've never seen anything about George's account. So it sounds like both of you guys are leaning towards definitely a, a kidnapping or, or possible foul play. But do either one... Some kind of tragic end. Yeah, so, and that's what I'm saying. So both of you are leaning more towards tragic end than that Robert or some other person came up 50 years later and said, hey, I'm, I'm Freddy? It just seems like, yeah, it just seems like too big of a time difference. Because, I mean, like we were talking, this was a nationwide story. 
there were rewards out. I mean, granted, by today's standards, they weren't a ton of money, but there was still money involved that they could potentially get. And it just seems odd that you would wait 50 years or so to be like, hey, I might be Freddy. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for jumping in here and talking about this. I know this, it's always interesting to look back this, especially this far back on a story like this. And it really reads like a, like a whodunit, like a, almost like a, a clue movie or something. And Agatha Christie book. Yes, very much so. Well, Nancy, again, you are the assistant curator of collections and exhibits at the Quincy Museum. You have a great blog that has lots of great stories about Quincy and even beyond from history perspective. It's called hashtag tracking history, and that can be found at trackinghistoryblog.wordpress.com. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us on Wild Quincy. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. And of course, uh, just a sneak peek, we'll hold on to Nancy. And if you're on our Patreon, you want to learn more about that, we'll have that coming up in, in just a few minutes. But ladies and gentlemen, that is the time that a five-year-old was kidnapped in Quincy. Hey guys, we wanted to jump in here real quick because uh, we have to add some information. We did this interview with Nancy uh, a couple of weeks ago, and since then, Travis, you've been able to find some additional information. Fill us in. Yeah, it all started with a random search wild goose chase to find a picture of this Robert T. Clark character. And in doing so, I stumbled on a lot of weird little tangents. It started piecing together the puzzle a little bit. And... A lot of our assumptions that we make about this and kind of preconceived notions really get sh- shook to the bone, so to speak, when I reveal this information. So here's the deal, guys. We, we have this information. We, we're trying to keep these episodes like 35 to 40 minutes long. So we don't. Uh, what Travis has is going to take a lot more time than what we have available to do in this episode. So here's what we're going to do. We want you to check out our Patreon page. But here's the deal. We're not charging for this. So all you got to do is go over to patreon.com slash wildquincy, or you can go to our website. We'll have a link for you on the website for it. And if you go to that page, we are going to have a video for you. Actually, it's already up. Uh, so if you want to check it out, you can head there, watch the video free of charge. There, You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to do anything. But if you want to learn about this information, head there, check out that video, and learn this additional information. Because like, like Travis said, it is very, very intriguing what he found. So we encourage you to check that out. Again, no charge, but go to patreon.com slash wildquincy and check it out. Through Sunday only at John's Home Center, save 5 to 15% storewide and get 12-month no-interest terms. Save on Mitsubishi big-screen TVs, Amana refrigerators, Pioneer Bose and Sony home theater systems, and Maytag laundry pairs at John's. Plus, with your good credit, there's no finance charges and no payments at all till May of 99. We'll be closed on Memorial Day, so get to John's Home Center by this Sunday for big savings storewide and 12-month no-interest terms. Retro ad for the day brought to you by John's Home Center. And uh, some of you guys might remember John's because uh, they were around till just recently. Travis, me and you were talking about this just a minute ago. And they moved out to, like, I think the address was like 5005 Broadway. Yeah, I believe, right? we, I believe we agreed that it was the the Fuji Steakhouse location. Right yeah. Now. 
Yeah, boy, I got I got a story about that the old place, Chris, um, which was located there on State Street, about 30th and State. We've Comcast is in there now. Uh, my my grandmother growing up lived in those apartments right next to it. I think they're four court apartments. Mm-hmm. And and one day, I was I, you know I followed baseball but not a huge fan. And a St. Louis Cardinal baseball player was for some reason at John's Home Center signing autographs. So I have a photo and a glossy signed of Rex Huddler of the St. Louis Cardinals. And a kind of a me with a weird look on my face because I really didn't know what was going on. But that's that's my main, my main. <laughs> How old were you? Line, it, oh, I was probably I want to say I was like maybe seven or eight. Chris, oh wow, man. okay. Gotcha. So yeah, John's Home Center always makes me think uh, Cardinal baseball. Yeah, I, I, you know the only thing I can really pull out from John's uh, is that we bought our first like big TV from there. Now paint a picture, Chris. Like like how when you say big TV, <laughs> so yeah, it's not like this is a fifty inch flat screen LCD. No, <laughs> this was the one that you had a tube in the middle of it, and you had the nice wooden box around oh, the outside of it sweet, with the speakers. sexy wooden console. Yeah, yeah. So it was one of those set sat on the floor. Uh, it, it was actually our first like true like tv because before that we had like this little small like eight inch tv that we had forever oh yeah no yeah absolutely. so it was like our first like nice tv now was it equipped with the remote control that yes allowed... oh see that yeah. was huge that was a game changer i remember like when five, that happened in my like house six buttons on it i mean <sighs> yeah it was awesome but Brave new yeah, world. john's home center um we uh, here's the thing about this I, and I was telling travis this earlier too i had a dream about this location, not not the not the one on Broadway, but when they were on State Street, I'm gonna we're gonna post a picture of the location because, like Travis said, Comcast is there now. But try to remember what was there before John's Home Center. So if you know what was there before John's Home Center, let me know. For some reason, in my mind, I had a flashback to there being a restaurant in that building. But yeah, that's, you I, got I, me I, on that one. I can't find anything that proves that. So if you're listening and you remember that location. Tell me what was in there before John's was. Maybe it was always John's. Maybe I'm just making this up. But, yeah, so let us know. Uh, we'll have a picture of that on our Facebook page. So go to there. Uh, reply with a response. Let us know what your thoughts are on uh, on what that place is. So, Travis, time to head to the question of the day. And our question of the day was this. One Quincy native captained a famous mode of transportation. Do you know what famous vehicle it was? And here's your four options. The Titanic, the Hindenburg, the Nola Gay, or the USS Arizona. Travis, I think you know what the answer is. You want to give us a shot? Yeah, I'm pretty confident this time, Chris. I think I think it's the Enola Gay. Ooh, you got it right. That is right. The a Quincy native was the pilot of the famous Enola Gay. If you don't know what that is, of course, it was one that dropped the bomb in Japan during World War II. And the guy that was a pilot there uh, for that plane was actually from Quincy. Well, how's that connect to the next episode, Chris? Uh, well, thanks for asking. Now, that sounded way too cheeky, so we'll just <laughs> tell you. Our next episode has to do with famous Quincyans. So we're going to do this cool list where not only Travis and I have created our own top five list, but we're bringing in a special co-host for the episode. Uh, You know him as a former KHQA anchor. Chad Douglas is going to be joining us co-hosting our next episode of Wild Quincy talking about famous 
Quincians. And Travis, before we head out, I think you need to give a special shout out because before we got into talking with Nancy in this episode, there was a young child that was doing <laughs> a uh, return liner for us. And uh, I think you might know who that is. I do. I know him quite well. It's my son, Sullivan. He is ecstatically excited about this whole podcasting venture. His dear old dad has, has gone on here and is constantly suggesting story topics and was <laughs> completely thrilled to have the opportunity to uh, do a little recording the other night. So uh, it was fun for everybody. <laughs> yeah, and so we appreciate that. And by the way, if you want to have your voice on here you can head to our voicemail that we have. We have a Google voicemail set up, and I believe that number is 612-666-WILD. So you head there and uh, leave us a message, and leave us a return liner, too. So say something like, hey, this is Billy Bob, and you're listening to Wild Quincy. Now back to the show, and we will put you in here as part of our return liners so we'll uh, try to get those from you so make sure to head to our again our uh, voicemail is 612-666-WILD to uh, send us that voicemail Travis I think we're about ready to wrap it up you got anything else you want to uh, finish this off with no Chris it was a good time I think we covered some interesting stories and excited to share the additional bonus content on the Patreon side as well as the new information on our Patreon side for free. Check out our Patreon. Go to our uh, Facebook page, Wild Quincy. It's all found by just searching for exactly that, Wild Quincy. For Travis Hoffman, I am Chris Ketters, and this has been Wild Quincy. See you guys later. Take care. Take care.